Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and all my venture crypto capitalist friends out there. Welcome to ICO 101, a crypto 101 podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Paul. At ICO 101, we look at upcoming coin and token offerings from the average person's perspective. That is, you and me. We preview pre- and post-sale offerings while engaging with the leaders of these companies in order to help you make an informed decision on how you want to participate in those offerings. ICO 101 Podcast is on the Crypto 101 Podcast feed, so please find Crypto 101 Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and CastBox. Leave a positive rating and subscribe to it. It helps us stay at the top charts. Visit our website at ICO101Podcast.com. I'm very active on Twitter, so please follow me there at sub Aaron Paul. And while you're at it, follow the show at ICO101Podcast. Send me all the private messages you want. I love getting them and try to respond as fast as I can. I do not interview any different whether an episode is sponsored or unsponsored. We are always looking out for you, the average consumer, and my interviews will always reflect that. Please don't forget that I am not a professional investment institution, bank, lawyer, or accountant. I'm not offering any legal, accounting, or financial advice, so please make sure you listen, take notes, research, and make your own informed decisions when deciding to invest. In this week's episode, I caught up with Josh Topkin, founder and CEO of Unity Chain. Unity Chain is a next-generation consensus protocol and blockchain that does not rely on proof-of-work or proof-of-stake. Utilizing chaos theory and butterfly effect in conjunction with their system's architecture, they are able to create an equitable protocol that leads to greater democratization of blockchain participation without sacrificing scalability and security. In this episode, we discuss what all that means, how it works, and much, much more. So without further ado, please enjoy the show. Josh Topkin, CEO and founder of Unity Chain. Welcome to ICO 101. Hey, Aaron. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. I want to compliment you guys and your team for the white paper. I really like the way it flowed. And when I do interview prep, I really tried to dig into the white papers. And I liked how you guys started out in a 101 manner and then moved into Unity Chain. I liked how you guys defined the terms and then it kind of built up into what is unity chain and then how does it work and there was a reference point or things to move back to so i would encourage anybody who is listening to this to read the white paper now with that being said dude i did skip the math part because then you guys got into pie and divisions and all that stuff so i didn't get into that because i'm not good at math but just the basic understanding yeah it was awesome Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I appreciate that. Actually, uh, I think it's kind of a problem and with the industry where people are basically obscuring their ideas with these mathematical formulae, and it looks great, it's intimidating, and it makes it, it actually has this kind of strange um, psychological effect where, you know, it's like, oh, they must know something that I don't know. Yeah. But even though they can express these concepts into kind of formalism, it doesn't actually even mean that they're correct. Why don't you tell the audience a little about yourself? What's your background? And what were you doing before Unity Chain? I've been doing startups for about eight years. Um, I'm a particularly good at like systems architecture, integrative thinking, Macoder. My first startup was in the online gaming world, actually. Uh, received almost a full scholarship to study economics, and I wanted to pursue behavioral economics. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my sophomore year, um, pretty much forfeited a full full ride to private university to play professional poker or semi-professional poker. Um, Follow your passion, man. Follow your yeah, passion. Yeah, I wouldn't do it in my 30s, but in my 20s, you know, at the time, I really just, 
felt right. And it was a hell of a journey. I'll be honest, I learned a lot. You know, that said, I don't want to focus too much on poker because I always felt that poker was kind of zero sum. It was kind of like, you know, you spend all this time and you're not really trading any value. Mm -hmm. So that was part of the reason why I kind of gravitated away from the game. Uh, I felt like uh, I was kind of wasting my time, uh, not really producing value for the world. Sure. Um, that said, it was, it was wonderful trading grounds. I'll tell you that. It's a very accelerated path. <laughs> that was definitely, as you said, a boot camp to reading people and being able to detach from situations. That's just key to business. That's why I asked yes. you what leadership principles you learned from poker. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, patience is a big one. You know, yes. like, just, you know, they say that poker is the hardest way to make an easy living. <laughs> <laughs> why did mm -hmm. you choose blockchain and cryptocurrencies? How'd you get into that? Sure. So the last five years I've been living in San Francisco and like uh, Silicon Valley Bay area. And I was working on a side project with one of my co-founders This is related to online food traceability. And it was like an online marketplace where you can buy food um, direct from farm to table. And she told me there's like new thing. This is in early 2017. Um, there's a new thing called Ethereum. And she had put in some money and she's essentially 10x it. And I was like, huh, okay. Um, at first, I was really kind of like, well, this kind of seems like, uh, uh, you know, it sounds a little bit too good to be true. Yep. You know, she pushed me to look into it. And it just so happened that since we were basically working on what amounts to be supply chain management, um, blockchain was perfectly suited for this. So I was like, oh, okay, hmm. so blockchain technology, I'll be completely honest. I spent a good two weeks, like, really obsessing over it, thinking the whole time this is kind of silly and why would anyone build anything this way? It's super inefficient. Uh, it took me a while to really understand. How long do you think it took you? I would say I got exposed to it, and that was probably, I still, I kind of just ignored it for a good month, but she kept on saying, like, you got to look into this, got to look into this. And I was like, okay. So I took, a, like, maybe a month after that, uh, took a dive into it, and I studied it for a good two weeks. And the whole two weeks, almost the whole time, thinking that this is just really not, why would anyone build anything like this, super inefficient? Um, et cetera, et cetera. It took me a while to understand that we're working in and living in a world where there's not a lot of trust and there's a lot of middlemen mm. and what this this kind of technology can in, can enable. So I actually think two weeks of, and I'm talking about like waking up, spending all my time studying it for like two consecutive weeks, you know, and attending as many blockchain events as I could as they were emerging in San Francisco. It took me, I think that was a decent amount of time to, you know, to, to kind of like agree that this might be important technology. The reason and, why I ask that is because nearly everybody I speak to is really, they're brilliant. And when I ask them the question, how long did it take you to really understand blockchain technology? It takes people, you know, months of really getting into it and seeing the implications of this technology and the future use cases of it. Yeah, I totally understand. Actually, I should kind of re rephrase this then because even till now over, you know, over a year of really studying it deeply, uh, I can't see the end fully. I don't know where this ends. I don't know what the full implications are. I definitely do not. Let's get into Unity Chain. What is it? So Unity Chain is, uh, it's an evolution of blockchain. Where we want to create something that like Unity Chain. So in the future, we hope that people ask, are you running a blockchain or are you running a Unity Chain? It's a completely different approach to scaling. And uh, so we're, we're, we're not using proof of work. We're not using proof of stake. Um, the traditional blockchain structure, we do use it, but only for very core aspects of our system. And instead of that, we use um, 
we run our novel consensus mechanism called Unity Protocol mm-hmm. on a DHT, which is a distributed hash table. DHTs are used for like overlay networks to kind of for routing in like peer-to-peer networks. So mm-hmm. like BitTorrent. Um, and I guess one really simple way to kind of um, help some people visualize what a Unity chain is, imagine like um, a bit to, uh, peer-to-peer, P2P network, right? BitTorrent-like network, peer-to-peer um, where the blockchain exists in the network itself. So I don't have to carry around the entire blockchain with me. I don't have to have 36 to 100 gigabytes worth of data storage. Instead, it exists partially piece by piece in a peer-to-peer network, and the DHT lets us look up each part as we need it. And the consensus part, right, the UV protocol, is used to essentially come to consensus about the data integrity. Mm-hmm. So we have something called proof of DTS, and we can jump into that in, in a bit. Sure. Proof of DTS stands for proof of digital tribunal signature. And any data in this peer-to-peer network that doesn't have this DTS signature, it's, it's ignored. So uh, this is a way to keep the data integrity. It's a way for everyone to just you know, hold on to a small sliver of the blockchain and to have 50 to 100 um, redundancy levels within the network in case, you know, even if the network is partitioned in half, you'll still always have the blockchain always retrievable. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you want to run a full node, no problem, you can. It's just not required. The entire backbone of Unity Chain is the consensus model. Is that correct? Uh, it's definitely a very key aspect of it. It's, uh, I would say it's the DHC distributed hash table with the consensus model, Unity Protocol, and then what we call an integrity chain. Mm -hmm. So this integrity chain, it's not storing all the transaction data. Really, it'll make more sense once we kind of jump into this a little bit more, but the integrity chain is just to track very transparently the succession from each epoch or each cycle from like um, what are called oracles and tribal leaders. In our system, oracles select tribal leaders, tribal leaders select oracles, and this, this selection process needs to be completely authentic and true and the chain can never break. What this enables us to do is to check any DTS signature on any data stored in this peer-to-peer network. Um, we can check its integrity just by referencing the integrity chain. Now what's great about this is just like a small hash chain. It's not a lot of data that we need to hold. And instead the, the data transaction data is all stored in the peer-to-peer network. Why don't you give the listeners a 101 on proof of work, proof of stake, just real quick, and then let's talk about the differences between those and the proof of digital tribunal signature. So let's start with the kind of original gangster blockchain, Nakamoto <laughs> consensus, proof of work. So in proof of work systems, we have these miners, and miners are essentially kind of racing to find an arbitrary random number. So this is really what it comes down to. And this random number is to make sure that no one person is able to create blocks and uh, <clears throat> basically evenly distributes the chance for block creation. And this makes it uh, much more difficult to stage what's called a civil attack, you know, or actually in, in proof of work systems, 51% attacks, right. where you to override the system and double spend. Oh, so one more thing about proof of work systems, right? The part of the reason why it's slow to the main major bottlenecks of proof of work systems are that the block itself that's discovered has to propagate throughout the network. And because we have this randomization process of kind of mining to solve this puzzle, you actually have to be up to date with all the blocks in order to append to the new one to have a, a successive chain of events that is coherent and most up to date. So this block needs to propagate throughout the whole network and it, there's some latency in that because this is a kind of just peer-to-peer network. And also, you know, a major problem with proof of work systems is the amount of electricity that's required. Mm-hmm. And then we have these proof of stake systems. 
um, which are a lot more scalable, but frankly, they're very, very centralized for multiple reasons. One, you need to have currency or some sort of you know token to participate in validation process or in block proposals. So usually this is a pretty high hurdle. Like uh, I think in Ethereum, it's going to end up costing like 3000 minimum up to 100000 to participate in this system. We think that it, this will end up creating what's called a plutocracy where the rich make all the decisions in the end. Mm-hmm. And it's really not a kind of, it's, it's kind of going back to like feudal times. It's not really like ultra democratic or fair. It's basically the rich get richer, the rich make all the rules. It also creates a scenario, especially in today's market, right, where the prices are plummeting, where people are actually incentivized to take their stake out yeah. uh, because and like get it into some other currency because, or, or you know, store a value because uh, it's just losing value. So uh, we think that proof of stake, yeah, it's, it, was a, it, it was a solution. I never really liked it personally it, because I think like we were talking about this idea that I learned from poker that humans are irrational. I heard the story about the original CEO of Ethereum was Charles Hodgkinson. I would have a hard time saying his name. He's the, like one of the founders of Cardano. So he used to be the CEO of Ethereum, and he had a major falling out with the other leadership and co-founders of Ethereum. And he basically dumped his Ethereum on the market, I think, with the intention to just kind of really screw, the, screw up the price. So you would think that that doesn't make any sense because you're losing so much financial value just by giving it away and just dumping it. Um, But when humans are pissed off, they get really, really irrational. And we've seen this time and time again. It's something that's not going to be weeded out of human nature for any time, anytime soon. So proof of stake, you know, I'm not saying it's completely worthless. Absolutely not. Um, I just think it's easy to become centralized. And we think that proof of stake um, can be used in our system at some point, perhaps, more as an additive layer of security, not like the primary layer of security. Got it. So Aaron sends Josh 10 tokens or 10 Mm -hmm. coins. Mm -hmm. What's the consensus steps from me Mm -hmm. sending you a coin to you receiving the coin and bam, there's a digital tribunal signature? In our system, we're just going to call our units of measure, we just call them units. So suppose that Josh is sending... Aaron, you know, 100 units, right? This transaction is broadcast to a decentralized Oracle network. And we have this whole process in, in our network, um, a computer, you don't need specialized mining equipment, a mobile phone, a laptop, it has enough compute power to participate in this network. Um, at any cycle or any round, like any like five or seven minute epoch or cycle, we call them, your node, which is a mobile phone or a computer, can be selected to be a Oracle, a tribal leader, or just a um, validating node, right? Mm-hmm. So the transaction gets broadcast and routed to the decentralized Oracle network to say seven different oracles. Now, nodes in our network are organized into these different tribes. So uh, oracles have tribes and all the nodes are evenly distributed into seven different tribes, okay? Now the next step is this, the before we were able to start to process transactions, these these oracles, they have to create what's called a like on-chain random number. This random number is used um, to select the next round of tribal leaders, okay? So we call this number the master count. 
Now, one really cool thing we do with our system is we, we leverage the butterfly effect from chaos theory. So what that means is, uh, which butterfly effect is basically sensitivities to initial conditions, meaning like a small, like, you know, the, the, the kind of name comes from this idea, like a, a butterfly flaps his wings in Brazil and causes a tornado in Texas, mm-hmm. right? Small things can have huge effects in the future. So what we like to do is we do have very, very clever cryptographic processes on how we generate a random number. We also throw in a wrench into the kind of mathematical equations or what we like to call morphing algorithm. And what we do is we sample out of circuit data. So we look at like, what is the temperature in Minneapolis right now? What is, and we, we only use absolute values. So if it's like negative four, just the value is four. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are things that are, are historically unpredictable, you know, including um, stock prices. And the key here is we use out of source, out of circuit data that are unpredictable and easily cross-referenceable. Okay, so let's just suppose that we've got this process. We created this what we call a on-chain, non-deterministic random number, and this number is called the master count. And the reason why this is super important is because unpredictability is is very very important in our system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And so you can't game it. Um, so we have this master counts, right? And then this master count is used to select the tribe leaders. So each of the oracles, they agree on this master count. They have this, this number and they cycle through all the nodes within each of their respective tribes to randomly select one. You're it. And then we pull in seven tribal leaders who otherwise don't know each other. Now, what's cool about this in a system that has 10,000 nodes, that means there's about 14, 28, 1,428 nodes in each tribe. And assuming that this random number is, is truly random, the probability of guessing who the tribal leader will be is 1 divided by 1,428. To ac- accurately predict who the seven tribal leaders are, is it's the, the probability of it is 1 divided by 1,428 times itself seven times. Now that number is very, very small. It's like zero point like twenty three zeros and then like like eight three or something like that. And just to give you a sense of like what this means, it's the probability of selecting the right grain of sand in this like five minute window um, out of all the grains of sand on earth. And just to give you some scale, and actually the way that the math turns out is pretty spectacular, you're a thousand times more than a thousand times more likely to grab the right grain of sand in that five-minute window than you are to predict who the seven tribal leaders are going to be. I do that so, all the time, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, once we have the tribal leaders are selected, right, um, the transactions are rooted to those tribal leaders, right? And the tribal leaders individually check the ledger and, and gossip the results to each other, okay? 
So we have seven randomly selected people who otherwise don't know each other. They all individually check it and they gossip to, their, to each other what, what they've discovered in the ledger. And if all the tribal leaders are in agreement, we call this a first degree unity event or the first level of consensus. Now what's important here is that all the tribal leaders agree here. This is a really, this kind of a system design that is actually very important. It creates these emergent qualities that of security qualities, which we can get into just a moment. Now, frankly speaking, 99.99999% of the time, this is enough security. The fact that seven random people randomly individually, individually check the ledger, gossip their results, and are all in agreement, it's going to be okay most of the time. However, since we're dealing with the internet of value, right, we need to have as much certainty as possible. So we have an additional step. In order to keep the tribal leaders accountable, the oracles take this master count, they have a derivative of this master count, and they sample the tribe. The sampling is almost like a sentiment analysis. So a random sample of each tribe. Now, this isn't in the white paper, but uh, we're actually just in our, in our updated kind of visual consensus deck that will be available on our website. And we call this process RSIP, Random Sample Interpret Protocol. So the oracles sample their tribes, and these sample nodes, they do the same thing that the tribal leaders do. They check the ledger and gossip their results to each other. If the sample is in agreement, you know, the reason why we do a sample is so we don't have to have the entire tribe propagate the transaction. It's just a random sample, right? So it's more efficient. Now, the key is this, right? If the random sample is in agreement with the tribal leader's vote, then we call this a second-degree unity event. Suppose that there's a scenario where there's a random sample and they are not in agreement with the tribal leader. Then what the protocol does is it escalates within that tribe until 51% of that specific tribe reaches an agreement. And if at 51% is, is voting against the tribal leader, we can actually like overthrow the tribal leader. The tribal leaders are held accountable by the tribe, and the tribal leader is severely punished or banned from the system, perhaps, and uh, essentially it, it keeps the tribal leaders accountable. Finally, we compare the tribes. The tribes all kind of gossip their overall votes, and if there's agreement on this third level, which we call like a full unity event, then we're able to update the hash chain, the distributed hash table, and the transaction is able to go through. Now, it seems like a lot of steps, but these are very, very quick lookups. So we actually predict that our finality should be in the range of five to seven seconds instead of like 30 minutes to an hour with proof of work systems like Bitcoin. When I looked at your white paper and the mm -hmm. explanation of this, it seemed to me comparable to sharding. Is that an accurate assessment? So actually, it's a good assessment. And uh, so in our system, this is all about probability, right? So we will have security thresholds. So the DHT structure is able to handle millions of nodes, okay? Now, for security purposes, we probably we estimate actually maybe every 3,000 set of nodes is required to create what we might call like a universe and have parallel universes. So suppose that every 3,000 nodes is, is like a shard, because um, we need to have a, a baseline of nodes to select from for security purposes. And every epoch, we want to be shuffling everything. So every like five minutes to seven minute cycle, you're going to be a new, you're going to play a new role. Most of the time, you're just going to be a validating node, but you're going to be assigned to a new tribe. You're going to be assigned to a new parallel universe. And it's just constantly shuffling, mm -hmm. right? And what this enables is like kind of like this parallel processing. If we have, let's just say 100,000 nodes and we only need a minimum of 3,000 nodes to create a shard, then we have, you know, perhaps 30 different shards simultaneously engaging with each other. Now, how do you keep the network in synchrony? 
this this is really really kind of cool is only the validating nodes the oracles and the tribes that are active in this current epoch only they need to be receiving the block broadcasts the blocks that are being proposed and broadcast only they need to gossip among themselves so if there's seven by because uh, the, the blocks are being proposed by the tribal leaders um, so if we have 30 by 7, it's only being, has to be broadcast to like 210, 200, up to like 250 nodes. And then everyone just has to be streaming the data to each other and be on the same page. And we have mechanisms to give preferential treatment in case there's like a tie, you know, and like if there's two blocks that we propose at the same time, it's just some basic uh, protocol rules that prevent double spending and prevent like existing tribal leaders to they, they can't process their own transactions. Uh, but what's key is this, the, the blocks are only propagated to active nodes. All the actions kind of happening at the edge of the chain. Mm-hmm. And the updates are occurring to the distributed hash table, um, which is just a much more scalable approach to this. So uh, theoretically, and that's why you know we're flirting with this idea of infinite scalability, this idea of the trilemma, right? Where you have, you sacrifice decentralization for speed and security. We actually think that we can have decentralization, greater speed, and greater security with more nodes. So we scale with more nodes. We get more secure and faster, higher throughput, more decentralization with more nodes. Mm. So this is just a whole new paradigm to approach like blockchain scalability. And this kind of mechanism is you know, just kind of the structure, the consensus. Um, we want to call this like whole stack as a unity chain. We want this to be a new thing. You mentioned a double spend, and then that got me to thinking about the 51% attacks and the civil attacks. How do you prevent that on the Unity chain? Good question. So many systems, like proof-of-stake systems, will require staking as a mechanism to prevent civil attack. What we do in the beginning, it's going to be a semi-permissioned network. So you're going to do some level of KYC and KYM, know your customer, know your machine. So we're going to tie a, a, an identity to a machine, okay? And the key though is we're gonna do this, uh, our goal is to do this through ZKPs, zero knowledge proofs, right? So we don't actually need to know your exact legal identity, we just need to prove that you're an individual. Um, so this idea of a civil attack is when nodes are in the system are pretending to be someone else, right? And then they have like false identities and uh, they can collude with each other and try to game the system. So in order to prevent that, we have, well, we're trying to implement this KYC, KYM. We're not trying to invent the wheel, uh, reinvent the wheel. We're going to use like decentralized IDs, um, projects like Sovereign or Civic. You know, we're going to try to make partnerships with the existing ecosystem. And the key is that we're going to tie these um, identities to machines. So your validating node is tied to machine. Now, how does this work? Well, you're going to be running software um, to participate in a network. And your software is going to be able to communicate with your machine and your identity, your username and your machine is going to be connected. And to get it, to get it, a username, there's going to be some process that you have to undergo. So there's that. And then also to prevent civil attack, uh, this is pretty cool. Like uh, if our system like detects a threat, it can auto scale from seven tribal leaders, oracles and tribes to say 11. And what this means, you know how I mentioned on the first degree unity event, this first level of consensus, all the tribal leaders need to come to agreement. Yes. When we scale from 7 to 11, it gets exponentially more difficult for Byzantine nodes to actually spoof the system. So we are talking to um, machine learning and AI experts, PhDs, people much smarter than myself, um, about the feasibility of this. And we've gotten the feedback, yes, this is absolutely possible. It's just going to be pretty expensive. Like, 
the range of five to 10 million to do to execute. What are the internal economics? What are the incentives for people to participate in the unity chain? A couple, a couple of them. One is, you know, we're going to be having like block rewards or validation rewards as well as storage rewards. And we may have like flat micro fees. You mentioned the foundation. Yes. How, how is the chain governed? And does it need the foundation? What's the role of the foundation exactly? Can you dive into that just a little bit? Sure, absolutely. So on-chain governance is, is really important. So we have this like motto, one individual, one node, one vote. So we use a weighted point system. So like suppose certain protocol updates may require a majority vote in order to be implemented. We do this because it's impossible to predict which technologies will be like available in the next 10 years and much less so in 100 years. This is unpredictable, the scale at which like new technologies and methods emerge. Now, uh, on-chain governance is so important to avoid aggressive chain splits like the recent Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV. It's really, really, I feel like these forks are actually really horrible, especially yes. for newcomers. Like now you've got to play, okay, there's Bitcoin, there's Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SV. What is this? And I even feel, and this might be controversial, and you know, I'm sorry for people that have, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. My opinion is that even Ethereum's fork was horrible for the industry. Because yes. now you've got Ethereum Classic. Because I, I remember when I heard about that, and I was like, wait a second. I was like, this is such a bummer because I thought blockchains were supposed to be immutable records, right? You know, so anyways, people argue that forks are good. And I'm like, well, okay, you can have your own opinion. It's fine. I don't think they're good. I think um, innovation is good. I think having test nets are, are good. And I think presenting your case for system upgrades are great. And having like a parliamentary system in which these these, these upgrades can be integrated into the, the new protocol. I think that's very important. Um, so we intend to enable what's called a liquid democracy, where you can delegate your vote to a person whose values you're aligned with. And uh, this is meant to like address what's called voter fatigue, where like everyone doesn't want to vote for every little detail, right? The key about a liquid democracy is that you can reallocate your vote with a few simple clicks. Like, okay, so I, I want to actually change my vote. I use login to my portal boop, 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 and change my vote just like that. So um, on-chain governance, like this is important to maintain kind of protocol ecosystem unity. And the idea is like certain protocol changes. Suppose in the future there's something better um, consensus-wise than what we're currently doing. And... Um, maybe something like that, that important, might require two-thirds of the network's vote to be accepted. And uh, so what that means is suppose that every node has one vote and uh, basically there's thresholds that need to be reached and then the protocol will implement the majority vote. So what's cool about this is even though I'm you know, one of the co-founders, early people obviously that started this, it doesn't matter what I think in the future. It's the majority vote that wins, you know? then what is the purpose of the Unity Chain Foundation? So we own the domain called unity.foundation. There's not much there yet. Um, this We're intending this to be a Swiss nonprofit. It's meant to continue with the ecosystem building, continue promoting the values that we, the, the ethos of blockchain, that, you know, decentralization, own your own data, you know, uh, equal participation. Uh, it's meant to, in, in a summary, it's meant to preserve those values and to continue to, invest and stimulate the ecosystem and promote um and essentially promote these values for how long indefinite uh, uh, indefinite yep well so far indefinite we can these are discussions that we can have uh, with more teammates right now we haven't even thought about how long the, the foundation should exist but i understand there might not be limitations with swiss nonprofits. 
The key here is that we've built into our system by freezing tokens for 10 years, these tokens become like economic engine to continue the Unichain Foundation's operations and reinvestment into the ecosystem. I'm not entirely sure how long that'll last. Uh, I, I hope it lasts for hundreds of years. Sure. Well, I think somebody needs to drive the boat for a little while. So I think it's just a Kickstarter, yes. For sure. And that's what I was curious about. Um, I know some projects start up with a foundation such as yours. It's indefinite or you're not sure. You'll kind of figure it out as you go. Others are like, it's going to be terminated at this specific time. And I was just kind of which, wondering which side you guys fall on. Some people have disagreements with that. I've talked to people who have. I've seen debates about it. I think it's good leadership. Yeah, I think we should have um, built into this, um, you know, succession. Like, there's not going to be one, you know, nonprofit leader, charity, I mean, president, excuse me, for forever. Like, there should be elections. There should be very transparent and parliamentary. I think we really do want to focus on the values and get the values right. So, uh, and then, like, have some sort of very clear election process. And also, you know, something that Elon Musk talks about a lot is the ability to vote out like arcane laws or rules and to like revisit past voted in laws and regulations to to revisit them and to have the ability to vote them out. These are the types of things, you know, that, you know, when we can, we're going to aggregate, you know, political scientists, philosophers, you know, economic theorists, all these types of different schools of thoughts from diverse backgrounds and diverse cultures and diverse ethnicities to come together to create the Unity Foundation. If anybody's out there right now and they want to get involved with Unity Chain and they want to learn more about you guys, where can they go? Unitychain.io. That's U-N-I-T-Y-C-H-A-I-N.io. And we'll have information there. And uh, if you want to uh, volunteer for whatever it might be, just you can send us an email to John, J-O-N, at unitychain.io. John, my co-founder, he's very much more of the community builder. He's, he's kind of more of business development and community. I'm kind of taking the lead with our researchers and our tech and research. Both are incredibly important in this type of um, venture. We have to have technology, cryptography, research, and we have to have community building, business relationships, and just personal relationship building. Josh, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you explaining the project, and I look forward to keeping tabs on you guys as you move forward. Wonderful. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And uh, Aaron, thanks so much for uh, just providing this platform for us. You're very welcome. Yo, yo, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, then check out the links on the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to ICO 101 Podcast by going to the Crypto 101 Podcast feed that is found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and CastBox. Leave a positive review. Please follow me on Twitter at SupAaronPaul. And don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter as well at ICO 101 Podcast. Until next time, peace. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.